0: Welcome back to the Earn Up Podcast. Uh-huh. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Air Night Podcast. This time, we're interviewing Brian Garowski on the B-25 Creek Yankee Air Museum. Brian, thanks for coming in tonight.
1: Good to be here, Austin.
0: Thanks. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to college? And what interested you in aviation?
1: All right. Well, uh, I grew up in a suburb of Detroit, Warren, It's kind of uh, southeast of the City in most, I feel like I grew up in the '60s based on the uh, music I like to listen to, and uh, I ended up going to University of Michigan to get an electrical engineering degree. So uh, yeah, so that's that's how I uh, that that that's the most salient points of uh, what I um, man. This is <laughs> sorry, this is going so badly. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh that was the major points of uh schooling uh, My parents were both um, in the auto industry and so uh i uh must have gotten some DNA from that. My dad liked to tinker with his cars and and uh couldn't pass by uh a a electronics gadget shop maybe it's radios or maybe it's um cameras or something like that, but I managed to pick up a lot of that somehow along the way. Cool. So how'd you end up working for Bose? Tell
0: me a little bit about what that was like.
1: So uh, when I got out of school, I ended up working for Motorola, uh, designing uh, essentially police radios, two-way communications radios. But uh, I had a a pretty strong interest in hi-fi as my dad did uh, growing up and uh, went to a lot of concerts and things like that. So I really liked, really liked sound. I liked stereos, things like that. And uh, so when I saw an ad for a company called Advent, it was sort of my dream job to be able to work in the hi-fi industry. So I left Advent and moved out to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where a lot of uh, hi-fi firms were at the time. Uh, So I worked for Advent for a couple of years. Um, They made some pretty cutting edge products and they were known for really high quality at uh, a good value. So um, uh, that was a lot of fun, I liked that. But they fell on some hard times the, Henry Close was the uh, president of Advent. He wasn't really much of a businessman. He was an engineer and he, is, he had a history of letting his companies, um, they, the finances got away from him anyway. There was a, uh, the company fell on hard times because of, because of that. And they wanted to move to New Hampshire to uh, decrease their manufacturing costs. But I didn't particularly want to go to New Hampshire, so I had to start looking for another job. Um, And it turns out that the apartment that I had, um, I could see bows from the balcony. And I said, well, they're close by and they're in hi-fi and maybe they're hiring. So I went and uh, put in an application and they hired me. I didn't really think at the time that Bose was the place for me because they're kind of a place up on the hill and it seemed kind of, you know, overly marketed and uh, they didn't have the, they didn't have the reputation that Advent did for low cost stuff. Um, But it turned out, so after I, after they hired me, I said, well, all right, I'll give this place six months and see if I can find something I like better. And 34 years later, uh, I was still there. So I guess it worked out okay. Yes, it did. So what was
0: your job at Bose? And did you enjoy doing it?
1: Uh, Well, I had a lot of jobs at Bose. um, And for the most part, yeah, I did. Uh, At Bose, I learned a lot. Um, I started, when I first started there, I was designing uh, a tape deck for a, a big portable sound system. And I also worked on an equalizer for a professional speaker. But there was some sort of shakeup there. The economy was bad and there was some rearranging and a lot of groups just got let go. Uh, And I got um, pulled into manufacturing engineering and I got a a lot of interesting experience there um, working on the production line. Uh, It's a whole bunch of different kinds of problems that I'd never seen before. Um, so if, if there's a problem, uh, in the test booth, for instance, uh, there's a lot of testing through the manufacturing process and if something goes wrong and the line stops, you need to react very quickly, uh, because it's expensive to have a line sitting there idle. So, um, anyway, that was sort of, uh, uh an experience like drinking from a fire hose. Uh, but, uh, um, Also, while I was there, the company wanted to expand one of their, um, expand their speaker line and uh, using uh, a line of conventional speakers. um, Which was sort of not what the main part of engineering did. So somehow, and I'm not sure how that happened, but somehow I ended up designing a line of conventional loudspeakers uh, while I was in manufacturing engineering. And it turns out that they sounded pretty good. They were quite successful. And uh, the head of consumer hi-fi noticed that I was capable of doing that job. So he pulled me out of manufacturing engineering into his group, Um, but there was one condition. I had to go to uh, Dr. Bose's acoustics course, which he taught at MIT. So they gave me um, two half days a week, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays, to go out uh, to MIT to go to Dr. Bose's acoustics course. And uh, I had to get an A, because if I didn't get an A, things would go badly for me. Uh, But I did. Everything worked out great. Um, And uh, ever since then, I guess I've considered myself um, sort of an acoustics engineer. Uh, Dr. Bose, many people don't realize this, but he was a phenomenal professor by far is the best teacher I've ever had. And, uh, yeah, it, it uh, I learned a lot from him.
0: So what sort of systems did you design?
1: Uh, the group I was in designed, um, basically anything that you would use to make sound in your home, let's say it could be just, uh, uh, freestanding loudspeakers or, um, portable radios, Uh, Bluetooth speakers, um, Bose also made a, uh, television. So I worked on the sound system for a, for a television. Um, most people don't even know that Bose did. Bose was the last domestic TV manufacturer before they all went off to the far East. Um, it's really a shame that the performance of that system was absolutely phenomenal. It's one of the best kept secrets of, uh, uh, I don't know, of, of domestic hi-fi. Uh, really an impressive product. So right. out, yeah, basically anything. Um, and, and the acoustics group did um, the acoustic packages. So that would be the speaker, the enclosure, tuning the system. Uh, and it went so far as if if anything made a rattle in that product, let's say you had to you had to buy a power supply transformer and that transformer buzzed, it fell on the acoustics group to fix that somehow. So it was a pretty uh, wide ranging responsibility. We were sort of the voice of the customer uh, for the products that we designed.
0: Cool. Well, it's nice that you're telling me all sorts of secrets and stuff here.
1: Yeah. Well. I, I, it's probably safe now. I've been retired for a while, so I, I and uh, I don't think I'll get in trouble. I hope not. So,
0: where did you fly to showcase those systems?
1: Well, um, so showcase showcasing the systems makes me think about a sales job, and I really am not a salesperson at all. We we uh, I did end up doing a, a lot of travel to make the, to to develop the projects, Um, going to different manufacturers for parts or even assembly of our stuff. But um, uh, that was more on the front end as the products were being designed. I ended up going to um, Ireland, Japan, China, Mexico, Canada. Uh, A lot of those places are where Bose had manufacturing facilities and others were where the, our suppliers were, were based. Uh, China was the most foreign of all the places that I've ever been to. Um, it's much different today because they've grown a lot. But at the time, um, there was, it was so unlike uh, what we have here. You can go to just about any place in the world as, and get along okay if you're from the United States but not China. In China, if you lose your interpreter, things will go very badly for you because you won't be able to understand a word of what anybody says. You won't know how to read a street sign. You won't know how to get fed at a restaurant. Um, It's very bad. So keep an eye on your interpreter if you're in China.
0: I'll keep that in mind. So what types of planes were you flying back then?
1: Well, um, mostly, uh, if you're talking about general aviation, uh, I was flying. I got my license in 150s and in 152s mostly. Um, uh, but shortly after that, I bought a Grumman Tiger, which is a you know it's a single engine, 180 horsepower, four seat. Uh, and I flew that to Oshkosh. I flew that to Sun and Fun. Um, I. Uh, my dad and I flew out from, um, I flew from Massachusetts to pick him up here in the Detroit area, and then we flew off to Seattle and back. And that was my longest trip. Uh, when you're becoming a pilot, you do, this, you, you do these things called cross countries. And a cross country, I forget exactly what the specific um, definition is, but it's a few hundred miles or something like that. And I figured, well, cross country. Be cross country, so I, I was. I was uh, somehow I had it in my head that I had to to fly across the country to really qualify. So that's what I did. Um, we were going to go on to Alaska. That was part of the big plan, uh, but I uh, I did some research into all the things that you should have with you as you fly up the west coast of Canada to get to Alaska, and it's like firearms and. And tents and survival gear, and I got scared, and so I decided I was going to chicken out and uh, hang out in the in the continental U.S. Um, the airplane that I was flying was reliable enough, but uh, I didn't want to push it. So there you go. I didn't make. I've never made it to Alaska. So you were flying
0: to other places like Sun Fun and Ashkash. What was that like?
1: Um, well, um, I was flying there to uh, support Bose sales, at least for a couple of trips. Uh, the arrivals, uh, they're kind of renowned for being very exciting because they don't even bother with having the people reply on the radio. It's just a, sort of a beehive and everybody's got to land on the runway. That was quite exciting. Um, I remember we we're on final approach, me and a, a colleague from Bose were on final approach, and he was flying, and he was about ready to run down the guy in front of us. Um, so anyway, that didn't happen. Uh, thank goodness we managed to slow down and, and not run him over. Uh, and then we came around, and the guy on the radio, he cleared us to land, and I, I remember distinctly seeing a small plane fly out from under me I don't know where he came from. I don't know where he went, but, uh, it was, um, the, you know, knock on wood, we landed and nothing hit us and we didn't hit anybody, but that was very exciting. Uh, let's see. So I was there to help promote the Bose noise noise canceling headsets. Cause that's uh that was new technology for us and actually for the industry. And so Bose, um, packed up one of its great big trucks and shipped uh, shipped out tents and things like that. And I was there to man the tents to um, answer questions from pilots about how the product works, what are its features, um, how do you integrate it into the system, and basically any kind of questions a pilot might have. Um, like I said, I'm not a salesman, but the, um, what happens if you build a product that um, is new, And uh, attractive. Basically, people come in just to verify the things that they've already learned. And they pretty much decided that they want one even before they walk in the tent. So my job was pretty easy. Uh, But that was fun. It's fun to talk to all these people and uh, people flying all sorts of airplanes from, you know, the kind of planes I flew to um, uh, Corsairs, everything. It was really neat.
0: So you also got to meet some pretty famous people at those air shows. Tell me about that a little bit.
1: Well, um, so uh, I did get to meet uh, Dick Rutan and Gina Yeager. This was a few months before their around the world attempt um, to fly unrefueled. Um, They were going to damage their hearing permanently um, and they were concerned about that, and Dr. Bose uh, heard about their uh, attempt and knew that his noise-canceling headset technology could probably save their hearing. So he signed up to say, uh, "We will provide headsets for you and for, for Dick and Gina, um, so that they, you know, won't be deafened by their by their trip." So. Uh, that was a big deal because when he promised them that he would provide their headsets, he didn't have them. No, They, they didn't exist yet. He was in the process of inventing them. Uh, literally, you know, he'd done all of the, the math and thought it was possible based on the math. Um, but you don't know until you've actually got prototypes working. So that was, uh, a pretty scary prospect, especially for the engineers that that we had a hard deadline for them. You know, they're going to take off, and we had to make sure the headsets appeared so that they could they could have them. Um, but uh, we made it. We made it. It was scary. It was it was close, but uh, it all worked out.
0: Well, so what was a typical day at a bigger, should that you're fine to like? Did you get much free time?
1: Uh, I'm going to say no. It's exhausting. Um, You get up really early to get to the show and uh, man the tents. And it seems like you're on your feet all day. I think it didn't wind down till about six o'clock. So it's like maybe you show up at seven and you work through until 6pm. Okay, we had we had time to eat maybe uh, a couple hours here and there to wander around the show, but it's it's really exhausting. Um, but the fun part was it was something really different, something I'm not used to uh, so that 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 uh kept me interested and i uh i, I did, get, did get to talk to a lot of interesting people along the way so um it was fun, very tiring but fun and I found that there's a lot of a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that I didn't have to do. I just had to show up, but when you go to these Uh, shows like Sun and Fun, you don't think about, well, how did this tent get here and and uh, how can we have power or internet or, you know, all of the infrastructure that you have or let's say you might need a snack or some water and all that stuff just magically to me appeared, but there's a lot of prep work um, to uh, prepare and be able to to have a, a presentation like that at a show.
0: So how did you decide to retire, and how did you get involved with the B-25 curve?
1: Well, um, how did I decide to retire? Um, the clock was ticking, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to uh, stay doing the job that I did forever. Um, and I uh, figured maybe that I might want to try to do something else. So I once I realized that, okay, well, retirement's coming. I need to prepare for it. Um, but I had a problem uh, exiting gracefully uh, the kind of job that I did. If I were just to say, yep, you know, I'm, I'm leaving in two weeks. See you later. um, The project that I would be, would have been working on would have been in um, big trouble uh, because the, the job that I did, at least I thought was really essential and pivotal to the, to the life of the project, and you just can't—you just can't pull away without thinking that you're leaving all your your colleagues that you've worked with for years. You're leaving them sort of holding the bag, and that's just not—that's just not cool. You don't want to do that. So it—it um, it took me quite a while to figure it out, but I did manage to uh, finally finish a project without getting. Um, involved in new in a new one so I could leave gracefully Um, and we had some pretty cool parties that was a good time that's like better than birthday and Christmas rolled up into one Uh, uh, my retirement party was a lot of fun Uh, And what was the other question that you asked oh about getting um, into the B25 so um, after I retired uh, I came back to Ann Arbor I just love the town. It's a great town. Uh, I don't know why everybody doesn't live here. So uh, here I am. Basically, I don't know anybody. Um, But my roommate, when I was in school back in the 70s, uh, he was friends with Bruce, the chief mechanic of the B-25 at the time. And Bruce found out I was here and gave me a call and figured maybe I like airplanes, so would I be interested in coming out to the hangar? and uh, checking, out, checking out the airplanes. Well, sure, of course I am. So I came out there and uh, they were flying that day and I kind of got hooked. Um, it's a pretty impressive airplane as you know and uh, I, I guess uh, I just couldn't walk away from it.
0: What was your first impression when you saw the B-25? Um,
1: it's big big. It's extremely powerful. Um, And when you look at it, you see all of these engineering problems that somehow they had to solve back in the 30s and 40s. And it's it's amazing the solutions that they came up with, how well they work, um, how rugged that plane is, um, and how much power it's able to deliver Um, I really question whether today if you handed a bunch of kids out of school and with fresh with their degrees if you handed them this project here make us make the b25 but you can't use your computer I really wonder I I doubt they would succeed Um, those designers back then were really smart really smart Managed to, to manage to pull that off was quite an accomplishment. And uh, not that people aren't you know smart in many other ways, but we would come up with a really different um, solution, I bet, because the tools are so different.
0: So you do work on the headsets in the B25. What kind of work does that need?
1: Well, um, the B25 is a terrible, noisy horrible environment for headsets um and they get abused uh, it, it's such a such a you know the the engines are very very loud there's what 28 exhaust stacks and the propeller tips are like a foot away from your head the engines uh shake the plane um the uh, I'll tell you a quick story the Bose headsets the Bose headsets I have they're designed to tack to uh, rest very lightly over your ears for comfort, but it is so loudly loud on takeoff with the B-25 that I can actually feel the headsets come off my head at the vibration rate of the engine. They're still working, but you know, if you if you move your head around too much, they will literally fall off. They literally will shake off your head. So, um, uh, unfortunately, Bose didn't design. Their headsets for uh, bomber crews, B-25 bomber crews. Uh, The headsets we have, I, uh, they're they're rugged, uh, but they they don't. um, How do I say this? Uh, They're not as uh, the design isn't doesn't have as the same finesse as as the Bose head. They're they're more rugged, um, but they they uh, they have such a a harsh environment they they just barely do the job and they're wearing out so the, the there are a few things that aren't designed well um the cables break batteries go dead um, the battery boxes are broken um, and they have they have people that, that that cycle through and they'll have to use them so it's it's not like they get a lot of tender loving care so, you know, when they break, I do my best to sort of patch them back up and solder the cables that have opened up and things like that, just to keep them going.
0: So tell me about your favorite thing about working for Bose and also for working with the 25, 25 crew guys.
1: Well, um, I guess the thing that I like the best is uh, learning the, the, the new things in this in a new situation, when I, when I came to Bose, uh, I learned a great deal, like I said, and you're working on a project with a lot of other people and you're, you're pivotal, uh, you're working together to, to achieve something that's difficult. And the same thing is true working on the B-25, I learned a whole lot about uh, that particular airplane, uh, which I had you know, never seen before. Um, we're all working as a group to keep it running, keep it safe, keep our passengers safe. So it's very important that we we don't screw it up. Um, so I guess there's that. Oh, plus, I get to go to lunch with a bunch of guys, and that's fun too.
0: Yeah, Taco Tuesday at the rooster.
1: Can't go wrong.
0: Can't. Can't. Go wrong. So what does the future hold for you?
1: that's uh, hard to say um, i'd like to join a flying club out here in Ann arbor and fly some more uh, after I sold my tiger i i uh, I sort of ran out of time, but now that i 'm retired uh, i I think i've got the time to devote to it but uh, the thing that surprises me is i've run into a there are a lot of things that i didn't expect to become really interested in um, and because I'm retired, I really don't have to do anything. So if I get interested in a particular subject, I can just go do that for a while. And so um, I guess it's hard to predict um, what I'll end up doing. I've I've wondered, you know, things that everybody wonders about the big questions about where did life come from or how did the universe start and stuff like that. And it's interesting that there are there are things that you could learn about that and get some reasonable answers. So uh, maybe I'll chase after some of those.
0: Okay, final question. If you had unlimited money, a time travel machine, what plane or planes would you buy and why?
1: Okay, well, um, I think. Well, this is, this is a tough one. Maybe far enough into the future, flying cars will actually make sense. Um, I like to travel back to visit friends in Massachusetts. And when you get there, you need to uh, hassle with airlines and rent a car and yada, yada, yada. So it would be great to have a flying car that actually worked. Um, and by that, I mean, uh, it goes fast enough, like roughly 250 miles an hour makes it worth flying. Um, and have a reasonable range. Um, and that would be great. And the problem with flying cars is um, flying cars of today are usually bad at flying and bad at driving. They do them both, but they do them both badly. You know, just think of like the car boat. Um, that's a bad boat and a bad car. So um, there's that as a problem. So, Uh, Given that the compromises of a flying car are pretty tough, I guess um, I like to fly because I want to get there fast and a light jet would do that Um, and I'd be able to take friends to go places like let's go down to Florida because it's cold here or something like that. So that would be neat. Something like um, a Cessna Citation would be a a reasonable choice. but that's not, a, that's not a plane to just have fun with. Um, uh, so I kind of like maybe an F-16 if I just wanted to goof off. Um, I think that would be a riot.
0: It'd be a lot of fun to have a personal F-16, that's for sure.
1: It so
0: thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: you've been listening to the podcast please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app subscribe and we'll be back in 10 days with another great interview so long